0: As I said a couple months ago, we started this series on race in the church. There was a brief two-day, uh, two-week break while my wife was in the hospital, and uh, Zach and uh, Pastor Zach and Pastor Osvaldo filled the pulpit uh, while I was able to uh, handle that, uh, handle the matter with my family. Uh, so we've been in this for a couple months now, and we come to the end of this series today, uh, race and the church. And we started off talking about uh, the history. Of racism in the church and the way the white church saw those of color and back in the 16 and 17 hundreds how uh, they truly white Christians truly did not think that uh, people of color were fully human and because they were not fully human they didn't have a soul so that they didn't need Jesus because they couldn't go to heaven it was amazing as I looked back and researched and hopefully it was amazing to you as I shared the history of racism in the church, and it was eye-opening. Hopefully, so that you would see, you could see that there truly is a history of racial division and racial superiority, uh, an attitude of racial superiority in the church. And then to uh, to read the late 1800s, 1900s, right up until the 60s, the the very words of pastors and religious leaders about racial division in the church to see that it truly is a problem and that's why the last few weeks I've said you know if we if you've listened to all the sermons and if you haven't I challenge you to go back and listen to them don't assume that you know what I said go back and and actually listen to the sermons if you've listened to them go back and listen to them again so that you'll have a better understanding of of where I stand not necessarily how you want to be but where I stand so that you can understand where I'm coming from but if you've gotten to this point now and you don't believe that there's a problem with race in the church, like I said, there's nothing more I can do for you. If you don't want to admit that there's a racial problem in the church by this point in this series, then we, we just had to move on. And it comes to this, the last part, and the last, this will be the fourth message on this topic. So what do we do? How, how do we fix this? How do we fix this? And the answer was by being intentional. And we talked about acting, uh, speaking with honesty, thinking with sincerity. And the last message we started last week was acting with integrity. And our our text verse, text uh, verses has been Philippians chapter three, verses 12 through 14 that say, not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. I do not stand here before you today as a racial expert. I don't, I'm don't. not here speaking as the, the foremost voice of racial understanding and healing in the church. That's not That's not who I am. I understand who I am, and I understand where I'm at. But what I do is bring to you what God has laid on my heart and what he's revealed to me through his Holy Spirit, and quite honestly, what I've experienced in my own life through raising two brown boys. There's not... (laughs) There's really no way to explain the anger that arises uh, in my heart, in my not in my not in my heart, because that's because that's in my in my spirit. When my boys go through those kind of things, I've never had to go through them. I don't know what it's about, but I know when my sons experience this. Uh, and it's been many times already, and there are only nine. Uh, it's very difficult to put into words the rage that I feel. Now, fortunately, I'm 57 years old now. So uh, there's, the rage is balanced with common sense, hopefully, so it doesn't turn into uh, something ugly. But understand that I don't, pers- I don't propose to you that I am an expert. What I am is a witness. What I am is a voice. And hopefully through this series, you have heard a voice of one who is truly searching for the answers. I don't have all the answers. I don't, I don't even know all the questions yet. <laughs> I'll just be honest with you. But what I do know is that there's a serious problem. And that serious problem goes beyond humanity. That serious problem goes to the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is divided racially. And we are presenting to the world a divided message. And if we don't fix that, then we are hypocrites to the world. And they don't see the true love of Jesus Christ. And that's what this has been about. If every believer in Jesus would pursue and address racial issues and understanding purposefully and intentionally, I believe we'd see an amazing and enormous change in the church. And I believe we'd experience for the first time true unity in the church and revival among God's people. And if we experience revival among God's people, we will see uh, redemption among the world's people. If we would see revival among the people of God, if we would see the people of God rise up above circumstances and go beyond heart go beyond feelings and history and come together in unity, then we would truly see another great awakening in this country. We would see people turn to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Our text challenges us to think deeply and intentionally. If we truly want to change and become the person that God has created us to be. I gave you three guiding principles uh, at the beginning of this series, and I've mentioned to them, you mentioned them to you every week at the beginning of the sermon. And I'll re- this last sermon, I'll remem- remind them, remind you of what they are. First of all, you must admit that you do not know what you do not know about race, race relations, race relations in the church, and what the Bible teaches about your attitudes towards other races. As a follower of Jesus, if you truly are going to desire to find answers, folks, I can't say it enough. You have to be willing to admit that you don't know what you don't know. The most frustrating thing for me, Pete, the most frustrating thing is when a white father who has raised nothing but white children tells me how to deal with the issues facing my brown boys. Dude, you've you've got nothing to speak from. All I have is what I've learned from other people. If I, if I try to address the, sol- the problems of racism for my boys from my experiences, then I'll never even scratch the surface. So I've had to talk with other people, men of color, women of color, and get understanding so that I can address the issues with my sons. And I'm st- I'm st- I've got three books right now. I have people sending me books to read so that I can understand this stuff and know and have... So- have some kind of a pool of knowledge from which to draw so that I can help my sons face and, and not just go beyond my sons, help my church understand this and reach out to my community and help my community understand this. And not just the white community, but the, the community of color as well. Because as we see when we get into the end of this sermon, there's, there, there's some openness that has to be there as well. Second one is you must accept that people of other races in your own race have different experiences and perspectives than you do when it comes to treatment from attitudes towards racial issues. And thirdly, we're saying that you must commit to applying the principles of the Bible to your view of people of a different race than you. We all have a choice to make. What am I going to do personally about the racial division within the body of Christ? What am I going to do personally? Listen, one of the most heartbreaking things for me as a pastor, as a man of God, and as a Christian man raising two brown sons, I'm, I'm just, I'm laying it out here, this whole series. I hope you understand. I've tried to be as transparent and honest as I can be. It's been raw and brutal, and a lot of people didn't like it. And I, I'm sorry about that, but this is such a powerful issue in the church that I felt after much prayer that that's exactly the way it had to happen. When I see Christian people putting memes up trying to defend and compare treatment of white people to treatment of people of color, it angers me. I'm telling you, it just angers me. You just don't get it. You just don't get it. listen, It's very difficult for me to accept the fact that Gabriel and Michael can be really... Those of you who know them know they're really good boys. They're mischievous. They're crazy. But they're good boys. I mean, they're good boys. I'm a tough dad. And as tough as I am, Aaron's even tougher. So it's difficult for me to accept the fact that my sons, my two youngest sons, my brown sons can be good boys. They can be faithful to church. You know, they stayed up all night last night. They don't want to say that. They don't want to admit that they stayed up all night last night, but they stayed up all night last night. You know why? So they could be at the first service. Because I've been letting them sleep in on Sunday and come to the second service because that's when we have children's ministry. But Gabriel and Michael stayed up. And when I got up this morning, going down to make coffee, trying to feel my way around the kitchen, Michael comes up to me and says, Daddy, we're up, so we can go to church with you. Listen, my sons can be good boys. They can go to church. They can be good students. They can play baseball. They can be great teammates. They can be great neighbors. They can do great things for people and and just be kind and nice and sweet and wonderful to everybody. But because of the color of their skin, they're going to be looked at by some people as less than and looked at as troublemakers. And that's just the fact of the matter. And that's a very difficult thing for a father to see. To know that my sons will be judged truly by the color of their skin. And they are. And you can like that or not. You can accept it or not. You can think it's true or not. And if you don't believe me, I just don't know what to do with that. I, I don't know what to do for you. But we have to do something to change and to bring about change. Martin Luther King Jr., and you're going to see this, uh, these initials MLK Jr. a lot through this sermon. Martin Luther King Jr. says, there comes a time when one must take a position that is neither safe nor politic nor popular, but he must take it because his conscience tells him it is right. I've reached that point in my life. I know what's right to do. And I pray that the church here at New Life understands it's the right thing to do and will follow along as we attempt to continue to minister to people and reach out to our community with the love of Jesus Christ while trying at the same time to bring unity to the body of Christ. Martin Luther King Jr. also said, a genuine leader is not a searcher for consensus, but a molder of consensus. Last week we started this, and let me give you a quick review of the three points that we covered. The first one was this. If we're going to act with integrity, we must remember that Jesus is the answer. Above and beyond anything else, there is no political decision that will handle this. There is no financial obligation that will deal with this. There is no, uh, there, there's no powwow that we can have. There's nothing that we can do to fix this aside from realizing that Jesus is the answer. He's the answer for Christians' hearts to be changed. And he's the answer for this world to to receive salvation and come together in unity. The second thing we said was (laughs) that we must remember that your children are watching. Your children are watching. And I said this, hate is generational. Hate is generational. Children don't learn it. Our children don't, aren't born with it, I'm sorry. Children aren't born with this innate sense to hate people of different colors. Children are taught to hate. I gave you the quote a few times already in this series by Friedrich Otto Hertz. At the heart of racism is the religious assertion that God made a creative mistake when he brought some people into being. And it's sad that so many people have believed that through, the, through our history and people still believe it to this day. And the third thing we said was intentionally choose to be a follower of Jesus with, in, uh, with integrity, with respect to race. It's an intentional choice. It's not just a magic pill that you take and all of a sudden you've changed. This is an intentional choice we must make to intentionally address our own issues so that we can then change through the power of the Holy Spirit, and then intentionally reach out and minister with integrity in every area, especially the one of racial unity in the church. That brings us to point number four, where we'll start today. I believe the next thing you must do is this. You must take your stand and plant your flag. There are a lot of things in life that are not worth dying for, okay? Uh, Gabriel and Michael just finished their baseball season this past week. And uh, I enjoyed it. I got to coach and had a good time with them. Fall ball starts in the middle of September. And they're playing Saturdays and Sundays. And, and my stand as a father and as, as a Christian father is that church comes before sports. And some of the games started at nine, are going to start at 9 o'clock. And 9 o'clock is just something we can't do. We are not available to play baseball on Sundays until 12 o'clock or later. And I told the president of the league, I said, I I don't know, I don't, you know. Uh, He said, well, we we probably won't have many nine o'clock games. I said, that's fine, as long as you understand, my sons won't be there at nine. And then the governor of Massachusetts put in the new restrictions that go from a hundred people in a group to 50 people in a group, even outdoors. And that limits the amount of people that can go to the games. And only one family member per game could go to that, could go to the one family member, uh, yeah, only one family member could go to each game. So Aaron and I talked and I said, Aaron, unless there's a, unless there's a loophole for our, for our family, we're, we're just, I don't, the boys are gonna be in school Monday through Friday, even though it's virtual. So Saturday and Sunday, are our family time, and I just don't feel right about breaking up our family on Saturday and Sunday on the weekends, so maybe we shouldn't do fall baseball. And it it ended up working out to where it's gonna work out for us to do it, the boys really want to, and we'd like them to, so my point is this, my boys playing fall baseball is not a place that I'm gonna plant my flag and fight for to the death. It's not gonna happen. If they don't play fall baseball, they don't play fall baseball. We can go out and we can throw a ball around the yard. We can go out to a field and we can play. You know, we can have our own, we can do our own thing. But playing fall baseball is not a place where I'm going to plant my flag and take my stand. It's just not a hill I'm worth, I I deem worthy of dying for, (laughs) of, of dying on. But there are some things that are, and I believe that working and fighting for racial harmony and unity within the church of Jesus Christ, within the body of Jesus Christ, is a place to plant your flag and take your stand. And I believe if we're going to act with integrity in the matter of race and the church, this is a worthy cause for individuals, and I believe it's a worthy cause for New Life Church, to plant our flag and take a stand here and say we are a place of openness. We are a place that desires unity. We are a place that will promote unity among the churches, among the races that that make up the body of Christ. We can't force anybody to be here, but we sure can invite people of different races to come here. We sure can make them feel welcome and comfortable when they come to our church. And we sure can reach out to other brothers and sisters and other churches of different races throughout our community to help them as much as we possibly can. Can you imagine if all the churches in, in the Springfield metro area got together and worked with what Pete's new idea of give and take and how, much, how, much, uh, how many canned goods and how much food we could bring in and give out for those in need right now. But right now, that's not possible because the church is divided according to race. And quite honestly, listen, I'm laying it out here, right? Right, Drew? Quite honestly, let me tell you, you know what most white churches would think? We need to give the, church to the, churches, the food to the churches of color because those people are always in need. Am I right? That's the, that's the cold, hard, fact attitude. We don't see them as equals. We see them as, as missions projects. And that has to change. Take a stand and plant your flag. <clears throat> Martin Luther King Jr. said, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. It can't end here. It can't end with the end of a a sermon series. This has to be something that you as an individual and we as a church intentionally move forward with trying to bring about racial unity and harmony throughout the body of Christ, he also said this I came to the conclusion that there is an existential moment in your life when you must decide to speak for yourself. Nobody else can speak for you. One of the most frustrating things as, a, as a, an evangelical pastor in this country is that we, our church, is pegged and pigeonholed and judged based on the decisions of a few national leaders that call themselves evangelicals. No lie. Most people that walk into our church will expect, I'm just going to say it, it's not my, I'm just going to say it as an example. Most people that will walk into our church will expect us to have Trump flags flying and bumper stickers for President Trump re-election on every car. And I know in my church, that, in our church, that's not the way our church is. We're we're actually like right down the middle with our the people in our church. I don't tell you who I vote for because I don't think it's your business, I don't think it's my business to tell you. It's 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 irrelevant when it comes to the ministry of the church. But we are pigeonholed and flagged that way. But there comes a time in your life where you have to speak for yourself. I'm not letting anybody else speak for me on the racial issue, I'm doing it on my own. It doesn't make me popular, I've lost friends. I've, I've, I'm looked at uh, everything my sons do in our neighborhood now. I mean, everything they do is, uh, is scrutinized. You think it's bad being a pastor's family, being in a fishbowl, try being the brown boys in a neighborhood that hates brown people. Everything they do is scrutinized. And I mean, we've had incidents where, listen, I was a mischievous kid and People just accepted things because that's what it's like to live in a neighborhood with children, but not so, not so there. So I'm speaking for myself and I hope that you will speak for yourself and find your voice as, as, as it comes to, as it deals with the issue of race and church and unity. Racial unity in the church is about a battle worth fighting with all of your might and energy. Marvin Williams, former NBA basketball player, said there is no better test of a man's integrity than his behavior when he is wrong. There is no better test of a man's integrity than his behavior when he is wrong. Listen, if you've been wrong on the race issue throughout your life, get right. The test of your your integrity and character is whether or not you will admit that you are wrong and be willing to change. Harold Horshack said, winning is nice if you don't lose your integrity in the process. I feel like, now that is, I will make a political statement. I feel like, I feel like you have to sell your soul to become president of the United States. Seriously, you have to completely give up who you are and become somebody completely different. I would much rather have somebody get out there and say, this is who I am. This is what I believe, whether you like it or not. If you don't like me, don't vote for me. If you like me, if you like what I stand for, vote for me. I I really would. I would rather hear honesty. As raw and and, uh, offensive as it may be, I'd rather hear that than be danced around. Think, act, and live as a person whom Christ set free. Don't repeat or be shackled by the attitudes and actions of the past. And that goes for all races, not just white people. That goes for people of color as well. African-American people, Latino people. It, it goes for everybody. Don't be bound by the shackles of the past. Be willing to change your attitude. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. The next thing we must do is this. See people differently Intentionally intentionally see people in a different way. If you've walked down the street and, and been nervous about uh, seeing a group of young men or a group of individuals of color coming your way, and you've kind of looked the other way or you've turned your head or you've clutched onto your purse or made sure your wallet is in your back pocket, as many white people do, I know that because Men of color have told me that's the way people respond when they come walking up to them. Try this. Try lifting up your head, lifting up your eyes, looking at them and saying, hey, how you doing today? I saw the, the mailman at the Big Y in Long Meadow yesterday. Wonderful guy. He's an old, older guy. He's been delivering the mail for probably decades. You know, He was probably one of the guys that Carried the. remember when mailmen carried the bag and they walked through the neighborhood and they had mace too because everybody's dog wasn't on a leash? Uh, this, this gentleman, what a, what a great guy. And, uh, and he, he, looked, he looked very comfortable yesterday because it was a very comfortable day. I said, man, it must be nice to be out there today instead of this past, uh, the past uh, summer. And he just looked at me and a smile came to his eyes and he said, man, It's so much, and we had a a conversation. We'd have kind of, you know what? I looked at him differently intentionally, not to pander to anybody, but so people know, hey man, I notice you. I'm not afraid of you. I don't see you any different than anybody else. And I just wanted to say hi. How about we try that? Rather than seeing people with fear and hatred and anger and malice, we see people just as someone for whom Christ died and someone whom God created. And that's a way to see people differently intentionally. <clears throat> MLK Jr. said, The ultimate measure of a person is not where one stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where one stands in times of challenge and controversy. Where do you stand right now? Listen, I confront... I, I just can't help myself. (laughs) When I see people make comments on Facebook, I jump in. Racial comments, I do. I'm Sorry, I just do. Even if I don't know the person, I just do now. Because I am not going to allow that garbage to go unchallenged. Martin Luther King also said this, people fail to get along because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other. They don't know each other because they have not communicated with each other. You don't know people. You assume. I know what that's like because people, Erin told me that all the time. She said, what are you angry about? I said, what do you mean? She says, you look so mad. I said, I'm sorry. This is the face God gave me. It's been, been like that for all my adult life. I'm not mad. I'm not angry. It's just how I look. I apologize. We assume by by sight. And if we could go beyond our physical vision and see people through the eyes of Jesus, then we would begin to see them differently. Proverbs 3, 31 verses 8 and 9 says, Speak up for those who have no voice. For the justice of all who are dispossessed, speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and needy. We are supposed to be on the side of justice as Christians. Remember uh, the the verse we had from uh, Micah, "Let justice flow down like, like mighty waters that 's where we 're supposed to be as christians we 're supposed to be those who who stand up for those who who don 't have what they need for those who are beaten down we're supposed to be the believers are the ones that are supposed to stand up to societal bullies because that's what jesus would do remember the disciples the children wanted to come to jesus that's how you know jesus was a man of love because the children wanted to be around him children don't go around and grouch right and the disciples stood there and they said keep the kids away don't bother the master Jesus said, let the little children come to me because that's what the kingdom of God is like. Little kids who just want to be around their savior. <clears throat> Don't just think about it, do it. Talk to people intentionally. Go out of your way to truly see people and make them feel seen. Don't claim to be colorblind, that's dishonest. Nobody's colorblind as, when it comes to uh, skin color. You know when somebody's of a different race. It's obvious. Don't hide that. Celebrate it. Don't make an issue of it, but don't don't make an issue of it. (laughs) Just see people for who God created. Don't apologize. Just be thankful and, and celebrate the fact that God is so creative that he made people with different skin colors. And be kind at all times. Luke 6 31 says, just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. Ephesians four thirty two says, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. <laughs> the next thing I think we need to do is this. Stand up to those who speak or act in hate. Just like racism is generated, just like hate is generational. And racism is Generational. Cowardice is generational. Cowardice is generational. The inability to stand up to a bully, to stand up to a racist is generational. We need to stand up to those who speak hate and act in hate. MLK Jr. said, shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Racism is a deal breaker in ministry when it comes to church. If you want unity, racism is a deal breaker. Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Listen, when the rubber meets the road, you're either on the side of unity or you're on the side of hate. There's no middle ground. Not seeing your brothers and sisters of a different race as equals and equally in, in need of your love and support is sinful. Why do we need to stand up for those who stand up to those who speak or act in hate? Why? Because it causes division. Because it's unbiblical and it is anti-Christ. Hebrews 11 verses 24 through 26 say, by by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. Listen, there is no way, there is no scriptural biblical way to justify a pastor or a Christian who will not break away from his group of peers or friends over racism. Those who won't do that, who refuse to break away, those of your friends who refuse to break away from, uh, from, from racists are hypocrites when it comes to their spiritual walk. Be more concerned about winning people to Jesus. All right, now I'm a, you might have been with me. So those of you watching on Facebook have been with me up to this point, but here's where, the, here's, here's where we're going to get a little bit tough if we haven't been already. Be more concerned about winning people to Jesus and having racial unity and harmony in church than, pres- than preserving your view of America. Seriously. Be more concerned about winning people to Jesus and having racial unity and harmony within the church preserving your view of what you think America is supposed to be listen I love this country I gave four years of my life to serve in the United States military if anyone has a right to have a voice to speak on on the issues of the flag and freedom come and talk to me talk to my dad talk to Jonathan Rowe talk to the other members of our congregation who served in the military don't speak for me I don't want you to I don't want you to speak in my voice because you don't know how I feel. Step, behind, step away from this so I can say this. As a veteran, I don't like the way some people treat the flag, but I served to defend their right to speak up and to, do what they, to, to have the freedom to do what they want. Does it make me angry sometimes? You want me to be honest about it? Absolutely, absolutely. I also grew up on Navy bases while my dad served in the Navy. While my dad went away to war, To Vietnam. I wasn't old enough when my father went away to war in Korea. Don't know if you knew that my father was a two-war veteran. I grew up on Navy bases while while my dad went off to war to defend the freedom that these people, I believe, abuse. But it's their right. And that's why I served. So Thinking what you want and having a view of America that you think needs to be preserved really has no, really has no bearing and really has no, carries no weight unless you truly want to take into, into account the fact that people of color were not... A, I, do you realize this, man? I'm, I'm, I know I've used my family. And like I said, I use my family as illustrations so that I don't get in trouble with other people, Okay. Let me just drop some knowledge here. Do you know, do you realize that my sons would, if this was, if we were, what, 60 years ago, my sons would not be able to play baseball in Longmeadow? I mean, it comes down to something as simple as that. They would not be able to play baseball in Longmeadow. They wouldn't be able to play baseball in East Longmeadow. Not unless somebody decided to develop a, uh, a, a Negro, uh, Puerto Rican, Um, baseball, little league. So if that's the America you want to preserve, have at it. Have at it. You know, whatever. For me, I love my country. But as the book of Hebrews tells me, I need to desire a better country, a heavenly, where God is not ashamed to be called my God, because he has prepared for me a city." We sing that old hymn, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Remember that old song, those of you who are old enough to, to remember singing that? So if that's true, and that's really supposed to be the desire of our heart, why do we fight so hard to keep a vision of an imperfect nation that has abused people for centuries. Like I said, I love my country. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. I'd go back tomorrow. Jonathan, you could bark it down, man. I'd go back in tomorrow. They wouldn't let me, but I'd go. If they needed somebody to copy Morse code for some some ridiculous reason, I'm sure my dad would jump back on a, a ship if they'd let him, because we loved what we did. And we did it for the right reasons but it doesn't mean that everything this nation has done has been right. And my my desire and my passion is not to preserve America, it's to win people to Jesus Christ. And that has to be what drives our hearts as Christians. Lastly, remember this. You might have heard this around here a little bit. Relationships build churches relationships build churches. Margaret Mead said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And Martin Luther King Jr. said, I, had to, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. 2 Peter three fourteen says, Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. So build some relationships, but build them God's way. Build some relationships, but build them God's way. If the relationships you are forming in this church are not formed for the express purpose of growing in your faith, sharpening your brothers and sisters in Christ as iron sharpens iron, and reaching out to your community and helping each other grow to be better witnesses for Jesus Christ, then you're not building them God's way. Build relationships in the church, but build them God's way. Spend more time studying the word of God than you do other trivial things in relationships. Spend time talking about your faith. Spend time uh, getting to know each other according to the word of God. Sit down and read the Bible with your wife. Spend some time praying with your spouse. And don't get into a, a... a romantic relationship with someone who doesn't care about God. (laughs) If I may speak to people of color, specifically, people of color, as difficult as it may be, you must be willing to forgive us and help us to be better followers of Jesus. Because we can change all we want, but if you will not forgive and be able to move on and be willing to help, then we're not going to make any progress. It has to come from both sides. You may say, well, now you're stepping out of line, Pastor John. You're speaking as something that you shouldn't be. That's why Brother Martin has a quote here. We must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power of love. There is some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. People of color, you must be willing to be teachers and mentors for unity. You must be willing to be teachers and mentors for unity. You must be willing to have those conversations and be honest. We've talked about that. You must be willing to be honest with us who don't understand. That's the only way we'll learn. Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22 said, Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? Peter thought he was being, being generous here. I mean, to forgive him seven times? Jesus said this, I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. And in. in, uh, in, in that language and that culture 70 times seven meant an infinite amount. Never stop forgiving. Never lose the capacity to forgive because once you do, you have built a wall up and the only thing that will grow there is the weed of hate. (laughs) Please be willing to give people another chance. Whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're brown, be willing to give people another chance. You can either stand up and do the right thing or you can sit on your hands and do the normal commonplace thing. But Martin Luther King Jr. said our lives begin and end, begin to end when we become silent about the things that matter. Our lives begin to end when we become silent about the things that matter. But what you choose individually will make all the difference in the world. Proverbs 28:6 says, "Better the poor person who lives with integrity than the rich one who distorts right and wrong." Proverbs 2:7 says, "He who so, he stores up success for the upright, he is a shield for those who live with integrity." As we bring this series to a close, let me get a little bit more personal. of all the struggles I've had to face this year, church issues, unfair fishbowl scrutiny of my family. I said this Friday night and I'll say it again. Listen, I know, I know people go home and have conversations about my family. I've been in this game for a long time. I grew up as a pastor's kid. Anybody who's grown up in a pastor's family knows that people go home and discuss the pastor's family. Why, I'll never know. Why everybody thinks they have the right to dissect my family, I'll never know. I guarantee that most lives who has criticized my family this past year would never be able to stand up to that kind of scrutiny. I'll guarantee it. You know why? Because I know because people have come and talked to me in sessions that I can't talk about. That's been incredibly difficult. To see my wife lamb basted and blamed for things that she's not, not supposed to be blamed for. If you're not adult enough to take responsibility for your own actions and to take account for your own words, then I got nothing for you. That's been difficult. It's been very difficult. Dealing with the COVID 19 stuff and homeschooling my boys. Both of my boys have IEPs. Uh, Gabriel's in a learning center where he has somebody with him all the time explaining stuff. It's been difficult. And it's gonna be difficult because East Long Meadow is doing distance education. So we're back there. There was that little thing that happened in the summer. where my wife spent 26 days in the hospital. And uh, she'd literally almost died twice. That was tough. Tough year. But out of all of it, out of everything that my family has had to face, everything that I have had to lead my family through, you know what the most difficult thing has been? Dealing with the overt racism and hatred towards my two youngest boys, just because they've got brown skin. That's difficult. (laughs) That's tough. Because I don't want to handle it. Jeremy, you'll understand this. I don't wanna handle it as a godly man. I don't want to. I wanna go to adult men and I want to grab them by the throat, and I want to throw them on the ground, and I want to beat them senseless. That's just being honest. But I can't, and I wouldn't. Because I have committed my life to follow Jesus Christ, and to try to find a better way. And you know what the Bible tells me to do? Love my enemies. Pray for them who persecute. Pray for them that persecute little boys. It's difficult. It's difficult. It's difficult to see Christians smile and laugh and post and comment and like things on social media that are so racist at their core. Because I know that that's how you feel about... That's how you feel about my boys. And it's tough. It's tough. But I can't give in to hate. I can't give in to anger. Because my two little boys and my big son are watching. My grandchildren are watching. My daughters are watching. My wife is watching. My church is watching. My community is watching. And if I give in to hatred and anger, then I'm letting Satan win. And as much as my flesh wants to, my spirit knows I can't do it. I hope that this series has challenged you to be a better follower of Jesus, especially where it comes to race issues. I hope that it spurs you to action, to be more attentive to your brothers and sisters of a different race and to try and build bridges and tear down walls and strongholds so that we may see true unity in the body of Christ. I hope that you will desire to be a friend, a warrior and an ally in the fight to rid the church of racial segregation so that we may more effectively reach the lost for Jesus Christ. I end this series on race in the church with one of the most powerful quotes of Martin Luther King Jr. From a speech in 1965, one that I believe speaks to the very heart of what matters when it comes to the role of those who have the capacity to change and make a difference. He said this In the end, we will not remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Lord, thank you for the grace. Thank you for the permission to speak. God, whether people want to think or not, it hasn't been easy to preach this series. It hasn't been easy to study for this series. It hasn't been easy to face this issue with honesty and integrity. But God, I am so thankful that you led me this way. Lord, I pray that it will find, the seeds of this sermon will find good ground in the hearts of your people. And I pray that it will grow the fruit of unity and love, forgiveness, and righteousness. Bless us as we go from this place today. Bless us as we shut off our computers and go about our day. May we desire to be followers of you more than anything else. It's in your precious and loving name we pray and ask all these things.